Good evening and welcome to episode 11 of the Dollar Dogs and Beer podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and with me tonight, as always, we've got Jason and Joe. How are you doing tonight, guys? I'm doing all right, Andrew. Uh, Philly's had a pretty good weekend here, so uh, I'm enjoying it tonight. Uh, I think I'm probably feeling better this week than Joe is, though. Yeah, Joe, it was, uh, what did I say last week? It was a rough week for the Cubs. Uh, we took rough week, dug a trench through rough week, uh, sent a jackhammer down there, and went through the bedrock. There's no other way to really put that. Um, yeah, last, last week was a, a cluster of nonsense for the Cubs, so I'm definitely not feeling as good as Jason is right now. I, th- I think my rant kind of helped a little bit last week. I, I have a feeling that Joe's going to need to rant a little bit tonight about his Cubbies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're on a 10-game losing streak now. Yeah, Is that right? Yes, yeah. yes. Thanks, so. for, thanks for continuing to rub it in. <laughs> so definitely a, a well-deserved rant coming from Joe tonight later when we get to the Cubs. All right, so what are you guys drinking tonight? I would rather be at the beach right now, so I'm drinking Corona. I'd rather be at the beach than watching the Cubs play right now. I mean, I'd just rather be at the beach because I had a great time at the beach a couple weeks ago. Do you really need a reason to rather be at the beach? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> yeah, Andrew, tonight I'm going with one of my favorite beers, which is Lion and Kugel's Summer Shandy. It's just a beautiful, delicious, natural lemonade-style beer, and easily my favorite, especially over the hot summer months. And I am drinking tonight from Southern Deer Brewing Company, a black, one of their Blackwater series, the uh, Nitro S'mores. It's an imperial milk stout. Uh, it's definitely one of the heavier beers I've drank on the show. Uh, very creamy, very heavy. It is on the sweet side, so if you don't like sweet stouts, probably not the beer for you, but I happen to like it. Plus, you know, s'mores, summer. It, does anything go better with summer than s'mores around the campfire late at night? I can't think of anything. All right, so the Braves had a really good week last week. I'm incredibly pleased with how they did. They started off taking two out of three from the Mets. Now, the Mets did end Charlie Morton's consecutive scoreless inning streak at 20 and a third innings. Uh, James McCann hit a three-run home run off the Mets, or off Morton, excuse me, as the Mets rallied to win that game 4-3. to three. Uh, Lindor is slowly starting to heat up, guys. He had an RBI single off Minter. That was the game-winning hit in the seventh inning. Morton didn't have a bad line, though. Went six innings, five hits, three runs, a walk, seven strikeouts. Uh, Tyler McGill had a pretty good game, too. Five innings, five hits, three runs, two two walks, eight strikeouts. He did give up that three-run blast to Ozzie Albies in the fifth. Um, Game two, the Braves' bats absolutely exploded. That was one of my favorite games of the year. The Braves won that one 20-2. Pete Alonso started the first inning off. He had a two-run home run off Max Fried in the first. And I, I know a lot of Braves fans, myself included on Twitter, were like, oh, God, this might be a long night. And then the Braves' offense opened up and just smothered the Mets. Max Fried had a pretty good game. Five innings, three hits, two earned runs, two walks, seven strikeouts. Our bullpen, they allowed only one hit for the remainder of the game. They walked one. They struck out four. Ozzy was a clear choice for player of the game. He went five for six. That was his first career five-hit game. He had two home runs, seven RBIs, scored four runs. Ten players had at least one RBI. Riley had three. Adrianza and Heredia had two. All of the starters had at least one hit except for pitcher Max Freed. 
Um, Acuna and Adrianza also had home runs. That was Acuna's 23rd career leadoff home run. That's uh, He already owns the franchise record, so he's just expanding that. That was also his fourth leadoff home run this season. This is also the fourth worst loss for the Mets in their franchise history. Jason, you'll appreciate this. The worst loss they ever had was a 26-7 loss to Philadelphia in 1985. And then in consecutive years, they also had 20-plus hung on them by the Nationals, 25-4 in 2018 and 23-5 in 2017. In the last game of the series, which the Braves ended up winning 4-3, this was the game I wasn't expecting to win because Jacob deGrom was starting, but for the second straight start, deGrom gave up runs. Jason, you guys put two up on him? Is that right? Yep, two earned runs. We put up three, which I think that's the most DeGrom's given up in a two-game stretch in longer than I can remember, for a couple seasons anyway. Yeah, I mean, his the two runs that he gave up to Philly last week, uh, we talked about that on the podcast, They were that was the first time he gave up more than one run in a game. So, Absolutely, and he still, I mean, he still had a huge night. Seven innings, five hits, three earned runs, no walks, 14 strikeouts. Um, he did give up that one home run, though, to Austin Riley. Ian Anderson, he had a really good start as well. Seven innings, three hits, two runs, two walks, two strikeouts, and a homer. Unfortunately for Anderson, uh, Will Smith blew the, his second save of the season in the ninth. He gave up a home run to Donovan Smith. That was his second of the game. But reigning MVP Freddie Freeman, he hit a hard line drive off Seth, Seth Lugo's lower leg in the bottom of the ninth. The base is loaded. Um, third baseman Luis Guimore, excuse me. He wasn't able to complete the off-balance throw to first, and Freeman actually legged it out and won the game. Uh, Ozzy, he had an RBI single in the first, scored on Riley's second home run. DeGrom, he retired his last 18 in a row after Riley hit the three-run shot. His ERA after the game was still under one at .95, and this was also the first start of the season where DeGrom allowed any earned runs on the road. So... uh, Guys, DeGrom's finally looking mortal, although I use the term extremely loosely because he's still pitching out of his freaking mind. Uh, I'm, I'm over the top excited about how that series went. I, I predicted 2-1 two and th- two and one for the Braves, but I thought the game we were going to lose was the DeGrom game, not the Morton game. So I, I'm extremely happy with that. What do you guys think of the Mets series? It's hard not to be happy with it. and I mean, again, it, DeGrom looks mortal for once. Um, I think that game one that you were hoping to win, Swanson was 0 for 3, and Acuna, Freddie, Ozzie, and Riley were 1 for 4. So Yeah, yeah. if you weren't happy with that one, I'd be reaching over the table to smack you. <laughs> Especially with DeGrom, you kind of would have expected him to basically have a bounce-back game, which giving up three earned runs isn't bad, but it's not the bounce-back that you would want DeGrom to have after giving up two earned runs. Not much... He can do though. He he pitched incredibly well, but this his story, no run support. So. Yeah, well, and he actually said after the game, uh, the slider he threw to Austin. He he threw a good slider to Austin Riley, and then he tried to get a fastball past him, and he said Riley just got great bat on a great ball and knocked it out. You know, a lot of a lot of respect from Degrom to Riley on that hit because he knows he doesn't miss too many of those spots, but. You know, that's major league hitting. You leave it out there, and these guys are good enough. They're going to crush it. Yep. So, Definitely. Yeah. I was, like I said, very happy. Um, one, one point of – one thing I was wondering, when I watched uh, Guillaume make that throw in the ninth inning, I was wondering why didn't he try – he was already running towards the third baseline. Why didn't he try to turn and go to third and get the, get the force out to go into extra innings? 
I, I was surprised by that, although at the same time, you get locked into, you, <coughs> you see ball, you want to throw ball to first. Right, and I don't know who was on second at that point either. Maybe he Acuna. thought that he, maybe he thought he couldn't get Acuna. He thought his better shot no, was to no, get Freddie. No, I'm sorry, Acuna would have been on first. It would have been, uh, would have been whoever pinch it for the pitcher's spot. So, right. so I mean, yeah. maybe he just thought he couldn't get the guy at third. Yeah, he maybe felt that he had a better shot at Freddie going going up first base. And that's fair. Freddie is not known to be a fast runner by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. I mean, you think back to even, like, Little League, when there's two outs, you're, you're usually thinking, I need to go to first, I need to go to first. Uh, third baseman or shortstops, they're not used to really Throwing going anywhere to third. but first or second. Yeah. And even trying to go home, his momentum was carrying him hard out of bounds. So that would, the, with the runner going down the line, that would have been an almost an impossible. Throw, he he so. was in almost a lose lose situation there. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think they said after the game, Lugo was screaming at him, "Go to third, go to third. But I I mean, Atlanta that night, the the house was packed because Degrom was pitching, and it was loud. So I I would have been shocked if he would have heard Lugo screaming at all. All right, so the Braves took that momentum and then took two out of three from Miami at home as well. So game one was a one to nothing victory for Atlanta. It started with some controversy because, of course, it did. Miami starter Pablo Lopez hit Acuna with the first pitch of the game, and Snicker came out to argue for his player. It's the sixth time the Marlins have hit Acuna, the third time with the first pitch of the game. Uh, Lopez was ejected from the game after the uh, umpires got together and decided, yes, it showed intent. Also, Marlins manager Don Mattingly was ejected along with pitching coach Mel Stottlemyre, so the uh, Marlins had a very light bench by the end of the night with three early ejections. This is what head umpire Dan Iasonia said after the game, quote, I think if you followed baseball at all, you understand that there's a history between this team and Acuna specifically, but there was no heads-up in place, no formal heads-up in place for us prior to this game. And understand this is one of the other things that we're tasked to do to keep control of the game. And we felt, and I felt, that by ejecting the pitcher rather than putting a warning out, that would absolutely stop any retaliation or continuing to really start a beanball war throughout the game. And so we made the decision to eject. I ejected him, and we did not have one beanball war. Tonight we had one ejection, we had one hit batter, and we had an ejection. Um, I do agree with the umpire's decision there. There's a lot of history between those two teams. Mattingly was understandably ticked off after the game. Here's the thing, Don. You guys have done it before. You try and say there's been so much time, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't on purpose. I'm not buying it. It was a sinker running inside, and it hit Acuna on the arm guard almost all the way in his back as he was trying to dive out of the way of it. That's too far inside for a pitch that you lost control. I'm not buying it. If you remember the really bad one a couple years ago when Urania hit Acuna right above the elbow with the fastest fastball he threw all season, I might add, if that's not deliberate, I don't know what is. The Marlins hate Acuna because he kills them. So I have no problem with the ejection. And frankly, uh, as Mattingly keeps trying to argue this days and days afterwards, it looks less and less good on his part, in my opinion. Um, otherwise, offense was scarce in that game. The Braves only had two total hits. Um, Ozzie Albies knocked Acuna in in the first and the sack fly. Smiley looked good. He went five and two-thirds, three hits, two walks, seven strikeouts. Um, Atlanta gave them a lot of chances. They did walk seven hitters overall, but held them to one and five with runners in scoring position, nine left on. Smith loaded the bases in the ninth, 
before coming wave the 17th save, so I was sweating bullets at the end of that one. I think Pablo Lopez also became the first pitcher, guys, to uh, lose the game, be the losing pitcher of record after throwing only one pitch for, like, years and years and years. It's been a long time since that's happened. In the second game, Atlanta dropped that one 3-2. Alcantara came out. He was pissed off after the events of the night before and pitched a great game for, to give Marlins' bullpen a break. He went six innings, five hits, four walks, four strikeouts. Uh, Garrett Cooper did damage, as he often does. He scored two runs for the Marlins. He had a homer off Kyle Mueller. Mueller didn't have his best stuff. Five and two-thirds, four hits, three runs, four walks, seven strikeouts. Amy Garcia had his 13th save of the season. And yeah, that was about all for that game. Game three, we had some fireworks in that one. Atlanta had to fight their way back to win at 8-7 in the 10th. The hero that night was pitcher Max Freed. Uh, the bases were loaded in the bottom of the 10th. Uh, Freed lined a, a 3-1 single. It was a nice low fastball. He lined it up the middle into the center field. It was a walk-off single. Uh, he was called up to bat because Atlanta had a short bench because they used everybody in the ninth inning on the rally to tie the game. Um, earlier in the 10th, there was a little bit of controversy. Riley tried to score in a wild pitch. He initially was called safe. On replay, they changed it to an out. I don't really know that I saw a good angle that said it, but, you know, whatever. The Braves still won anyway. You know, we'll move on from that. Here's the thing. Miami, guys, they were up 7-3 to three after 9. Shane Green gave up three runs in the top of the 10th. I have no clue why Snicker left him in for that long. But then Miami closer, Jimmy Garcia, he gave up four runs in the bottom of the ninth to tie the game. I don't know why Mattingly left him in for the entire inning. I've, that makes no sense to me. He clearly had nothing. His, his location was all over the place. Acuna tied the game with a sack fly uh, in the ninth. He also had a two-run homer earlier in the game in the third. A um, couple injury updates. Uh, Alex Jackson has begun a rehab assignment at Triple A Gwinnett. Waskar Yanoa has begun to long toss and catch. And uh, Darno is starting to swing one-handed. And uh, a, a guy you guys haven't, we haven't talked about much this year because he's been injured, Tuki Toussaint. He started his rehab work at AA Mississippi. So if Atlanta could get him even as a long reliever out of the pen, that would be a good boost for that beleaguered bullpen. Uh, any other thoughts from the Marlins series, guys? Uh, I think it was really good just for the Braves to take two out of three from a team that has kind of played spoiler with the top of the division, especially your Braves and my Phillies. So taking two out of three against the cellar uh, dwellers is pretty big. Yeah, and Smiley's, uh, you know, starting to get some consistency. I think they've won his last four or five starts. Mm -hmm. um, the first pitch strikes that we've talked about a few weeks ago, I think that's starting to, yep, to bear that keeps, out for you. It keeps going up, and, it, you know... When you start the count 0-1 versus 1-0, it completely changes how you can pitch to the batter. Yeah. And I also think Al Alcantara just continues to be the boogeyman uh, for the Braves and, and the Phillies. I, I think him. you're going to see some some teams who need starting pitching trying to uh, snake him away from the Marlins around the deadline here. I'd be shocked if they don't. I mean, the Marlins should be clear sellers. I, I know the NL East is close. But here's the thing, guys. The Marlins are 36 and 47. They're nine games behind the Mets right now. I think at 11 games under 500 at this point, coming into games tonight, I, you have to be sellers. Yeah. Now that said, I don't know what his contract situation is, so I don't know if there's enough time left that they don't want to deal him. But at the same point, when you have got a lot of time left, you can ask for more coming back. 
So I think they'd be, it'd be silly not to at least listen to offers. All right, Jason, do you want to regale us with the Phillies? Yeah, let's uh, talk about those Phillies last week. Uh, started out a little rough. They they had a a uh, makeup game uh, basically in Cincinnati on their way back from a road trip, and they lost that game twelve to four. It was a bullpen game essentially, just because Spencer Howard started the game, went two and a thirds inning, four hits, two earned runs, not bad. But Girardi hasn't left him in long this season, and actually. Uh, the two pitchers that were really hit this game, they actually were uh, sent down afterwards. Uh, basically, Spencer Howard was sent to AAA to get more starts and to work on being a starter. While Neftali Feliz, who the Phils signed uh, this offseason, he gave up a grand slam, took a blown save. He was designated for assignment and flat out released after after this game. So that experiment's gone already. <coughs> so basically the Phillies did have a four to two lead in this game before giving up a grand slam. That grand slam went to Nick Castellanos, who is now an all star, I believe a starter for yes. the NL team. So it's one where the Phillies just didn't have it, playing a lot of games without any days off. And you, you just had a really good start by Wayne Miley. And in this game, Castellanos, Naquin, and Jesse Winkler all had uh, six RPI games, uh, which basically made them the first team in MLB history, the Reds, to have three different outfitters have six RBI games before the All-Star break. It was only Castellanos who had the six RBIs in that game. Yes. Earlier in the season, Naquin and Winkler each also had six RBI games. Correct. Just wanted to clarify that. Yep. So, quick quick road game on the way back. And then the Phillies got to come home and play the Marlins and the Padres. For the Marlins, they, they did split the first two games before the last game ended up being rained out. Velasquez in game one pitched fantastic. Phillies won it 4-3. Vince went seven innings, gave up only two hits, no earned runs, no walks, seven Ks. Um, and he did have one wild pitch. The bullpen almost caused me to have another rant this week. I, I tell you what, uh, they they held. Connor and Connor Brogdon and Jose Alvarado did walk the bases loaded in the eighth and allowed a run on a wild pitch. Duval then hit a two-run homer off of Alvarado in the ninth. But he did manage to close down for his third save. I believe that was actually while we were recording episode 10 last week. And we were fit wrapping up as I was celebrating the Phillies. Not completely blowing it, but it was hard to be happy with that outing. And in that game, Reese Hoskins had a solo home run to left center. Herrera had an RBI double. And McCutcheon is continuing his solid uh, run here to end the first half with another RBI single. The Marlins did give up seven walks on the day, three of which were to Alec Bohm. And Bryce Harper made a fantastic catch in front of the right field fence to rob Starling Marte of an extra base hit in the third. Biggest news that day, Gene Segura came back off of the injury list. He did go 0 for 2 with a walk and a run, but it's a big boost to have him back and healthy. And then in game two of that series, the Marlins bats did come alive as they uh, won 11 to 6. Joe Panic, who was recently acquired from Toronto, did have a good game, going two for four with a homer, a walk, a strikeout, and two RBIs. Aaron Nola, after his uh, history major league 
record tying start. Struggled, went four and two thirds, and gave up seven earned runs. And Bryce Harper, we talked about it last week. How he was have he's been hitting solo home runs. Two more solo home runs this week. Uh, longest was four forty four hundred forty four feet. He still does not have a multi RBI home run. He is up to fourteen home runs on the season. And uh, I don't. I was trying to find this stat from last week, but basically. This is the most solo home runs to start a season since uh, 2017, um, which was, oh, Andrew, you may have to help me out here. I sent it in, the, in our group chat, and I'm drawing a blank on who it I'm was. I'm looking it up. Keep going. But basically, uh, in, uh, in that uh, first game here for the Padres series, the Phillies took two out of three from San Diego, which was huge for this team. Uh, they did blow another save, though, the bullpen did. They wasted a start by Zach Wheeler, because of course they did. Zach Wheeler uh, went seven and two-thirds inning pitch, four hits, gave up no earned runs. Phillies were up three to nothing going into the ninth. Alvarado and Ranger Suarez allowed three earned runs in the ninth, including a double to uh, Tatis. And then a two RBI double to the worst hitter on the Padres, Jurickson Profar. But the Phillies were able to retire the Padres with no uh, trouble in the night in the tenth. And Brad Miller played hero uh, with an RBI double. D.D. Gregorius, who has been out since May, came back uh, this game and he actually hit a home run in the fifth in Game Two. Uh, the Phillies did have home runs from Harper and Hoskins as they won 4-2. Segura, Gregorius, and Hoskins had doubles, and Remuto had a triple. Zach Eflin pitched well, going six innings, giving up three hits and two earned runs. Uh, Hugh Darvish did pretty well, but he just gave up all four runs uh, to the Phils. Gave up just a couple bad shots there. Uh, Manny Machado did hit a home run in this game as well in a battle of Harper versus uh, Machado from 2018 free agent class. Last game, the Padres woke up and decided to avoid that sweep with an 11-1 route. Not too much here. Machado hit two home runs off of Velazquez. Uh, Velazquez struggled, had, gave up five runs. And then Hector Neris gave up six earned runs in two-thirds of an inning pitch. He is now sitting at a 5.170 RA. He's, he just doesn't have it. Uh, he should not even be coming into games right now. JT Remuto did hit a solo home run in the sixth, which ended the shutout. McCutcheon left the game early in the ninth with some oblique tightness, but he did play again uh, on Monday. He's actually playing very well again today, so he's back. Mentioned earlier here, Manny versus Bryce, uh, top of the free agent class of 2018. Manny signed first with the Padres, followed by Bryce with the Phils. Manny signed 10-year, $300 million. He's currently batting 268, 63 home runs, 180 RBI, third place in NL MVP in 2020, 11.3 wins above replacement. Uh, this is since their signing in 2018. And Bryce, 13-year, 330 million, 263, 62 homers, 173 RBI, excuse me, and a 9.8 uh, WAR. It's very close. The the main thing here that I take away is contracts are. Fairly similar, a little, a little higher for Bryce. 
Bryce has not played as many games as Manny either, so I, I think overall the contracts are kind of balancing out, and it's pretty even as far as those two go. Injury update. The biggest news here is that the Phillies' offense is healthy. The Phillies got Gene back last week. They got Didi back last week, and Didi is on fire. He had a home run last night against the Cubbies uh, that he basically golfed out with a 9-iron off the top of the dirt. So big, big acquisitions for the Phillies getting those two guys back. It's a matter of shoring up the bullpen and continuing to get those starts from the starters. Okay, so Jason, I found it was Ian Kinsler in 2017, and I found his home run log on Baseball Reference. He had 16 consecutive solo shots to start the season before he hit a two RBI home run, followed by uh, four more solo shots and then another two another yeah. two run shots. Yeah, because he only had 22 home runs that season. I do remember that. So six, 16 to start the year, so Bryce is two back at the moment. Yeah, And... Uh, the Phillies, the big key here is the run differential from the time the bullpen enters the game is astounding. The Phillies' run differential after the seventh inning is minus 44. Now, that's dropped a little bit since last night, but it is still just crazy to see how... Sorry, Joe. Yeah, the listeners, uh, Joe's currently... Uh, pretending to stab himself with a knife as I twisted a little deeper after the Cubs fills the game last night. But basically, going minus 44 from after the seventh inning is inexcusable. And it's something that needs to fix if the Phils want to contend the second half. Yeah, minus 44 is never going to get it done. I was shocked how similar the numbers were between uh, Manny and Bryce. You know, our two big, the two crowns of the 2018 free agent class. Uh, Manny is at 268, 63 homers, 189 RBIs. He had a third-place MVP finish last year, and he's had 11.3 war. Harper has gone 263, 62 home runs, 173 RBIs, and a 9.8 war. That's shockingly close. And they are less than two war away, which, if I remember correctly from war, Jason, if it's 0-2, to two, it's basically just a replacement off-the-bench player. Mm-hmm. So really not... A huge difference between the two players. Yeah. So I, you know, I think both teams are probably pretty happy with those results so far for what they uh, paid for. They should be. Yeah. Usually, one those those signings, one of the deals is great and one of the deals is not, and both teams are getting what they paid for so far. Yeah. yeah. All right, Joe. Do you have anything else before we start the Cubs? I think it's time for Joe to just go off. <laughs> um, I I just with the Phils, I, I'd like to see. Um, I think you'd like to see it too, Jason. Like to see Nola get more in a rhythm and more in a groove and just be consistent. Uh, that first game against the the Reds there that week, last week, Reese is zero for five, Harper's one for four, um, and then the the low pitch count for Howard there, thirty nine pitches, twenty eight strikes. So he is finding the zone, but mm-hmm. uh, just not consistently enough, I guess. With and he's just not developed enough. So I mean, hopefully those things kind of come together and work out. Yeah, one of the things is if you're hitting the strike zone a lot, the batters are going to pick up on it and they're going to start getting more aggressive. So it's a, it's not so much that he's hitting the strike zone, it's that he's hitting the strike zone consistently enough that he's not getting players fishing. Uh, he So the players are starting to, we're starting to tee off a little bit on him. If you look back at the game where he had all those 
all of the consecutive strikeouts. The pitches were in, out, up, down, and a good mix of balls and strikes as opposed to being strike-heavy. I've got a question for you, Jason. So, a guy you guys are going to face this weekend, former Phillies pitcher Nick Pavetta, having an outstanding year with Boston this year. It looks like Boston has completely changed around how they're asking him to pitch, and it's clicking for him. Do you think if Matt Moore were to go away from the Phillies staff, do you think it's possible that something as simple as a different philosophy towards how he's attacking the plate would make a big difference for him like it has for Pavetta? I think it's possible. It's The thing with Matt Moore is he's been throwing meatballs to right-handed batters. He's been doing fine against lefties. He's just not getting the right-handed batters out. And I think Nick Pavetta has pitched fantastically for Boston. Credit to Boston for seeing <coughs> what I think Phillies fans saw Pavetta could do, but that the pitching staff could not bring out in Pavetta. That was a deal that Pavetta needed. He needed a change of scenery, and it shows based off of how he's been pitching. So, naturally, I fully expect that Pavetta will be lights out against the Phillies because that's usually what happens. Very true, very true. All right, Joe, you ready? Why not? Give it to him. Um, first, we'll, we'll just recap the week to start with. Uh, the Cubs got swept against Milwaukee. Hendricks had his first non-quality start in about two months. Six innings, seven hits, four runs. Two walks, four strikeouts, and a home run, which he's given up 20 at this point. Peralta had a quality start for the Brewers, going six innings, two hits, two runs, four walks, eight strikeouts, and one run. Cubs had a shot in the seventh or in the eighth to pull the lead and take the lead, and it was four to four going to the bottom of the eighth. And the Brewers decided to get 10 runs in the eighth inning. Uh, I went to sleep, and I'm like, okay, four to four. We'll see what happens. I'll wake up and it'll go one way or the other. I did not expect to wake up and, and lose the game 14-4. to four. Uh, So, you know, the Brewers had their first 10-run innings since April 18th of 2010. Their manager, Craig Council, was a part of that game, hit a grand slam in, his, in that game when he was in that. So that's game one in a nutshell. Game two, Brewers went close 1-2-1, one, one, uh, won their seventh straight. The Cubs dropped their fifth in a row. At this point in the week, uh, Davies went four innings, two hits, three earned runs, three walks, six strikeouts. Woodruff went six innings, four hits, one run, three walks, and eight strikeouts. Hader had his 20th save. Hader is Hader. If you give the Brewers a lead in the ninth, good luck. Or even in the eighth, for that matter. Yelich had a, an RBI double, and so did Peterson for the Brewers. The only hits that the Brewers had in the game. The Cubs' only run came in the fourth. Baez hit a triple and Wisdom hit a double to get him in. Cubs loaded the bases in the seventh. Couldn't bring him on home. Cubs were one for ten with runners in scoring position. Twelve guys left on base. That's game two. Game three against Brewers. Both teams' bats came alive in the first. In the that was a day game. So in the top of the first, the Cubs were up seven nothing. I sent a screenshot of the score to you guys, and by the time I sent that to you and read the comments on the post, it was. I think eight to seven after one, uh, Brewers had taken the lead again. So, you know, Brewers did get a did get a, a cup take a couple innings to get there, but right, it was fifteen seven loss for that game. There's really not much else to say about that. 
really, uh, you know, Arietta inning in two thirds. He's getting shelled again tonight. Uh, it, it's just, it's just no excuse for it. He gave up six runs, three of them earned, four hits, four walks. It, no extra base hits for the Cubs at all in this game. That's 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 the Brewers series in a nutshell. They just couldn't hit for for the life of them, and they're you know they're two pitchers, Hendricks and Davies, that you expect to give you some life and some chances. Just didn't give them enough chances with the offense. And then they've went to face Cincinnati in Cincinnati, which is always a crapshoot. And even more this year. Uh, game one in that inning was a 2-1 pitcher's duel. Sonny Gray went five innings, five hits, one run, eight strikeouts. Mills for the Cubs went five and two-thirds, two hits, two runs, nine strikeouts. A decent start, but again, the offense is just not there. So that's game one for that series. Game two, the Cubs lose 3-2. to two. Azalei pitched pretty well, but again, if you're not going to score runs doesn't matter how well he pitches at this point. It was nice to see him pitch well coming off of the last two bad starts coming off the I.L., but there's just nothing there for him with that one. The Reds' bullpen in that game, too. Four innings, two hits, no walks, and six strikeouts. Cubs again, 0 for 9, 9 left on base. Game 3, 3-2 to loss. Bullpen just controlled the Cubs' offense. So, Hendricks had a quality start again, and it got wasted after losing that uh, bad quality, bad non-quality start against Milwaukee. Back to normal, and it's just not enough. I really, you know, the Reds are, you know, there's a reason they're in second place right now. They just have a much better team. The only reason that the Cubs are in third is because the Cardinals have been just as bad, and the Pirates are the Pirates. Um, the the big thing, and this is kind of where it's going to uh, kind of go off the rails a little bit here. A few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, Rizzo was quoted as saying, of course they can afford to keep us. And right now that really pisses me off because they could afford to keep you, but you're not earning it. So it's time to put up or shut up at this point. Um, and... In the words of the wise NFL coach, Denny Green, the Cubs are who we thought they would be. They had a great, great month of June and, or a great month of May, and June they just fell off. I love the Denny Green quote. Yeah, I mean, the Cubs were sitting at the top of the division, and now they're down in third? They're in third. They're eight and a half back of the, of the Brewers. They went from being a game up to eight and a half back in two weeks. That that that's absolutely brutal. But I mean, so, it, coming out coming out of May, I didn't think the Cubs were going to get stopped. They were looking so good. This this gets better. The last week, the pitching staff for the Cubs has a six point one five ERA. Just the last week, the Cubs only scored fifteen runs the entire week last week. <laughs> The, the team averages the slash line for, for the Cubs right now, 224, 303, 393. An OPS of 697. 824 strikeouts. They're only drawing 274 walks. 
Okay. Oh my god. To put that in perspective, the Dodgers lead the league in drawing walks. They have 360. And if you look at the White Sox, Grandal has one sixth of the walks that the Dodgers have as a team. It, it's it's <laughs> disgusting. It really is. I think my favorite thing right now is how I got to vent about one little aspect of the Phillies, which was their bullpen. <laughs> but Joe has had such a rough week that he has to vent about the entire Cubs it's, team. It's a complete systemic breakdown at this point. The only thing working for the Cubs is the very back end of their bullpen, which got used, what, four times in June? Because well, they lost so much? I mean, yeah, the... the the bullpen for the Cubs is, has become the, you know, has has sort of become the the drain that gets unplugged now, and they're giving up a ton of runs. Tapera last week gave up, I think, eight of those runs in that ten inning, ten run eighth inning against Milwaukee. Gave up another run or two the next day, and then was sent down to the IL. Javi's line: two hundred three, two eighty nine, four fifty nine. Jock Peterson, 198, 255, 430. Rizzo, 219, 305, 466. The last month is a four five five ERA. They're officially under five hundred too. After after last night. Sorry, Joe. Fine. One run games, the Cubs are thirteen and sixteen. They're ten and twelve against the NL East, and they're nineteen and twenty against the Central. The only divi- the only division in the National League that they have a winning record against is the West. How does that make any sense? Well, I guess when... They're 10-7 against the West. They were so hot against the Dodgers and Padres, I guess. I was about to say, they haven't even played the bottom half of the West yet. It's just been the top half. Yeah. That's, that makes no sense. To give you some perspective, the Reds are 22-12 and 12 against the NL Central. They're 15-9 and nine in one-run games. Again, the Cubs are eight and a half back, seven back in the wild card. If you have a hope of taking the wild card, you have to knock out the Dodgers, Giants, or Padres. Pick two of them, it, or one of them. It's it's just not. I, going I think to you're happen. right first with having to pick two of them. Yeah, yeah. Pick, pick two of them because there's just it, it's it's a joke. It's a complete joke. Ross is a god awful manager. And I liked Ross when he was a player. I didn't like the hire. And I'm right. Pulling a guy when he's <laughs> throwing 70, 80 pitches just because it's 89 degrees out? The guy's finding the strike zone. The guy's getting guys out. What are you doing? <laughs> They're, um, the bullpen... There's no reason that the Cubs should be this bad because their bullpen has 56 holds. It's the third best in the majors. And they're just not hitting. They've given up 105 home runs as a pitching staff. 20 of those are Hendricks, and another, I think, 13 of those are Azulai. It's, it's, it's pathetic. 
I would be really happy if the Phillies could somehow get Craig Kimbrell, Craig Kimbrell from the uh, Cubs to help their bullpen. I don't see it happening, but I would Hell love it. Hell to the no, man. Hell to it, the no. You know, there's a lot. I, I he, can stand he, a lot there, of former he's Braves. He's spot right now. I, I can stand a lot of former Braves going to Philadelphia. I cannot stand seeing Kimbrell go to Philadelphia. Especially well, after all the damage he did to them over I'm the I'm going to give you an image. Chipper Jones in a Phillies uniform. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Yeah, Kimbrell is not going to go, I hope. But I don't think Jed Hoyer has much of a choice now. I, I think the writing is on the wall. Again, to quote Denny Green, they are who we thought they were. Do you think... Let them off the hook because they had a great month of May. Do you think Rossi makes it through the season and is kept beyond the season? Because this, this this is what his first year coaching second, second year. Sec- so here's the thing: one thing you've consistently mentioned, Joe, is how you can't stand how he handles the pitching staff. And uh, looking at the stats, I actually agree with you on that. So Ross's first every season as a major league manager was the COVID shortened, really screwy 2020 season. Right. And I wonder if he just never learned in that season how to properly handle a pitching staff, and it's really starting to show this year. I mean, look how long it took him to let Alzali pitch more than four innings. Yeah, I just don't understand it. You know, pitch counts in a high school level, pitch counts in a in a little league level. I get it. Anywhere beyond that, if the guy is effective, what are you doing? It's the same thing we've we've talked about with Velasquez and with with Wheeler. If I'm if I'm Wheeler, my arm has to fall off before you pull me out of the game. Mm-hmm. And in you know seven emotions of Kyle Hendricks, which is only just one, where he just walks off and just kind of stares off into the distance, just <laughs> pretends he doesn't care, um, you know, or that he's not affected by it. It's just you know. It, so what do you think with Rossi? Does he does he make it through? Part of me says he does. I haven't looked at his what his contract deal is. I think it depends on what the Cubs do. The, the thing is, last year the Cubs set a lot of things in motion. They could have easily traded Bryant. Now, Bryant wasn't worth much last year, but you had a year of another year of control where he could have this kind of year, and you could have gotten a good amount of, of pieces for him. Now you're not going to get shit. I, I, you're not going to get anything really yeah. in return for that, and you shouldn't. No, you um, shouldn't. Uh, Ross was signed to a three-year deal. I cannot find the financial terms. Three-year contract, and there's an option, a team option for 2023, which I think we can safely say at this point, if he gets there, he's not going to get the team option. Uh, unless they win the division next year. Or if he even makes it through this year, it's certainly possible that the team... Yeah, with only a three-year commitment. Yeah. I, I mean... Yeah, they, they won't be out much if they don't let him coach next year. I think, you know, last year they, they let, let go of Darvish, they let go of Schwarber, and they let go of Lester, and it was like, you're a seller, you're just not admitting you're a seller with the big pieces you still have. And now you're a seller, and those guys are worth nothing. Yeah, and those players that you mentioned are having good seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Although Lester only has two winning decisions, but that's not his fault. Yeah, right. That's that's not his fault, and he's pitching well. It's it's yeah. just the the offense around Darvish and, and Schwarber. We've mentioned lately have been tearing it up. So yeah, if Schwarber doesn't get hurt, who knows what he's doing this week? It, it, it's just mind-numbingly stupid to watch him come out and go. 
I'm going to play. And I'm like, it's four and two-thirds. He's pitching fine. He gave up two hits. What are you doing? Would I, it help if I told you that uh, Rossi had a short leash for Arietta tonight in a good way because uh, it's currently 7 no- seven nothing in the third? After he gave up four runs in the top of the first inning. It's uh, <laughs> He went one and two-thirds. One and two-thirds. Seven runs. Again. <laughs> you know, as well, much as... I just had to see if I could get Joe Rainey even more. Why is Arietta still starting? Why? This Do you just fi- have nobody else to start? We have start? nobody else. This okay. is the Philly William, fan antagonizing Williams. just to see what happens. You know, One thing William, Philadelphia William fans is, do well. Williams, Trevor Williams is finally coming back off of the IL from an appendectomy. So who knows what he's going to be like. You know, Mills is is good one game and bad another. Well, at least he's been good a couple games. Arietta hasn't been good since he faced the Pirates. I, I was terrified of that game. I know I told you guys, I was like, based off of history, I fully expected the Phillies to only get three, four hits total off of Arietta because I figured he would just shut him down, especially after last night's game. Uh, and thankfully I was wrong, but oh, much, wrong. To, much, to, much to Joe's dismay. You're wrong so far, but here's the thing. Uh, your bullpen hasn't come in yet, so... Yeah, bull, yeah bullpen hasn't come in yet, so... <laughs> it, it certainly, Joe, it is not over yet, for sure. <laughs> Based on the, the hitting numbers, it is. <coughs> well. um, it, you know, it's, it's, it was nine straight going into last night. It's now ten straight that they've lost. The only good news out of this weekend is that Nico is back, and maybe with some reps he'll, he'll find, find his strike as, uh, as a night, hitter. Last, last night, night he did, he did not, not and he didn't on Sunday either. But hopefully, I mean, who knows if he'll, you know... He's a young kid. He'll be fine. Yeah, he'll be yeah. fine. Yeah, I like Nico. I'm really glad to see Nico back. I was yeah. I was enjoying the crap out of watching that kid play before he got mm-hmm. hurt. Yeah, so. yeah I, think, I think they'll... They might give Rossi another year. It depends on just how bad the season goes. If they, you know, supplant the Pirates in the basement of the NL Central and they don't fire him, forget it. Yeah, that, that would be shocking. If they fall behind the Pirates and... He stays on. I will be blown away. You know, they won one World Series. They were competitive for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden, it's like we're the lovable losers again. It's ridiculous. Hundred years before the next one, I'll take the under. <laughs> it's not going to be a hundred years, but good lord, holy cow! So, who tried to bring a goat into the stadium this time? Nobody, as far as I know. <laughs> and there's no Bartman sightings either, but this is just ridiculous. Yeah, it, it really. I've, I've you know never the seen. The sad it. part about all this is, <laughs> I'm not done. The sad part about <laughs> this is, is that the friendly confines will be full until August, until they're completely out of it. It's like, dude, the team is playing like crap. Management sucks. Don't show up to the stinking game. Now well, I'm done. They're, just they're, so not, they're not so friendly baseball. for the Cubs lately, though. Those those confines are pretty friendly for the opposing teams. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, though, there's always a lot. There's always a lot of opposing fans at Cubs. It's Wrigley Field. It's, Everybody wants to make a journey to Wrigley. The journey that I made, the the Cubs fans there were amazing because I ended up going when. The Phillies ended up being in town as a last-minute road trip before they made the renovations. So since they were playing the Phillies, I wore my jersey, hat, whatnot. And fans were just so welcoming. Uh, 
welcoming me to to the park people beside us offered us some of their snacks it was it was truly just a great visit so yeah cubs cubs fans were absolutely fantastic for to the opposing fans at least from my experience i could say from my experiences in philadelphia that is the exact polar opposite <laughs> every time i've been to a phillies game in philadelphia even when they're not playing the braves I have enough money thrown at me from the deck above that I'm not paying for my hot dogs or my beer. Now, I know I'm antagonizing them by wearing my Chipper Jones jersey, but like that happened when it was a Phillies Pirates game, for God's sake. But you still can't wear a Chipper Jones jersey to, if they're not playing the Braves. Sure I can. I don't have any Pirates gear to wear, so I have to wear something. I'm not wearing a Phillies shirt. But you don't wear a big name for a big rival to the Philadelphia sports stadiums and expect anything less. Jason, if, I think... you, if you were to wear a Pirates jersey, you probably would have actually had Philadelphia fans saying how sorry they were for your season. Actually, but... the game I was at, the uh, Pirates batted around in the first inning with a grand slam, so no, the Phillies were not happy with the Pirates that day. Um, that said, Jason, I'm sorry. I could wear a freaking Atlanta Bat Boy jersey, and I think I still would have an equal amount of money thrown my way from people. Well, of course, you're wearing a Braves jersey. That's my point. All right, so you good, Joe? I'm done. All yeah. right, let's look at the other local teams. So the Orioles, inexplicably, exactly one week after they get swept by the Astros at home, they go to Houston and sweep the Astros on the road. So the Orioles continue this swing of really good, really bad. Really good, really bad, because the second half of the week, they got swept by the Angels. Um, one of the Orioles players, who I'll mention later when I mention my top hitters, he, he was on a tear last week, um, so I'll, I'll bring him up later. So, yeah, some good things going on in Baltimore, but it's that same thing as it's been, wildly inconsistent play. The Nationals, they had a really long week. They had a makeup game with the Mets on Monday, which they won. And then they had a two-game miniseries with Tampa, which they won. And then they got swept by the Dodgers. And uh, L.A.'s Jose Urias won his 10th game of the season in that game, so congratulations to him. The Mets, as we mentioned, they lost 2-3 Atlanta, but then they went back home and they had a subway series with the Yankees in the Bronx, and they took two out of three, including a doubleheader split. So uh, the Mets, yeah, could have been a worse week. The Yankees, it was a tough week for them. They lost two out of three to the Angels, uh, one game was rained out, and then two out of three to the Mets at home. So the Yankees are kind of in a free fall right now, guys. Aaron Judge, yeah, I know, right, Jason? I'm cl kind of clapping inside, too. Um, Aaron Judge is the, and DJ LeMay, he were really the only bright spots for that entire team right now. Aroldis Chapman, he's been getting shelled lately and, frankly, doesn't deserve to be on the AL All-Star roster, although I'll, I'll get to that in the next section. But uh, the Yankees are bad right now. Even Garrett Cole's not pitching great. Yeah, and Cole's bad pitching started about two weeks ago. What happened two weeks ago? We started flagging pitchers for substances. Yeah. I mean, is it for sure a correlation? I don't know, but it sure looks like it. One Same of, thing with Chapman. One of my favorite things right now as a Phillies fan is the fact that Cole waited until after Zach Wheeler signed with the Phillies to get paid. Because the Phillies signed Zach Wheeler for what I consider to be very cheap. And a week later, Garrett Cole gets his incredible deal. 
And I know that had Cole signed that first, I don't think the Phillies would have been able to afford Zach Wheeler because I, I think he's a better pitcher than, than Garrett Cole is, especially this season. And Zach Wheeler could have gotten paid a lot more than he did had Garrett Cole signed that deal first. Absolutely. The other thing I think with going back to the Mets, they haven't had the same lineup, I don't think, all year. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for their offense to get on a roll when you've got Lindor hitting one one day, three another, five another. It, you're not going to build consistency in that lineup, and that's the big thing holding them back because they're in the bottom five in most hitting categories in the National League right now. You know, you were mentioning pitchers who have been adversely affected by dropping spin rates. Um, Garrett Cole's spin rate between pre-June 3rd, post-June 3rd, is down 164 uh, RPM. That's pretty significant. It puts him in the uh, top fi- within the top 50 pitchers who have had a noticeable drop in that spin rate. Uh, number one pitch number one drop is Junior Guerrero. His RPM drop was negative 276, and Bauer was second at negative 264. So there have some big names. Sam Howard was the other one in the 260s. He was down uh, negative 260. So some big names have definitely been affected by that. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see if this gets to the point where MLB say, kind of underhandedly just says to the pitchers, okay, go ahead, you can use your stuff again. We're just not going to make an announcement or if they're actually going to hold to this until the end of the season. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. All right, guys, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody. Now that Joe's rant's complete, we're going to move on to happier topics and we're going to start with the All-Star game. So the rosters have now officially been announced. The AL starters, you have Salvador Perez catching for Kansas City of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first base from Toronto, Marcus Semyon from Toronto at second, Rafael Devers from Boston at third, Xander Bogarts from Boston at shortstop. Uh, Mike Trout was elected as a starter in the outfield. He is injured and will not play. Uh, Aaron Judge is in the outfield from the Yankees, and Teoscar Hernandez of the, of the Blue Jays also in the outfield. Shohei Otani is the DH and will also be pitching at some point as well. The reserves for the AL, you have Mike Zanino of Tampa, Jose Altuve of Houston, Bo Bichette of Toronto, Carlos Correa from Houston, Matt Olson from Houston, Jose Ramirez from Oakland, Jared Walsh from Anaheim, Michael Brantley from Houston, Joey Gallo from Texas, Adolis Garcia from Texas, Cedric Mullins from Baltimore, J.D. Martinez from Boston, and Nelson Cruz from Minnesota. Starting pitchers from the AL, you have Shane Bieber from Cleveland, who will not play because of injury, Garrett Cole from the Yankees, Nathan Neovaldi from Boston, Kyle Gibson from Texas, Yusei Kikuchi from Seattle, Lance Lynn from the White Sox, Carlos Rodon from the White Sox, relievers from the AL, Matt Barnes from Boston, Aroldis Chapman from the Yankees, Liam Hendricks from the White Sox, Ryan Presley from Houston, Gregory Soto from Detroit. So congratulations to those players from the American League. From the National League, your, st- your starting nine is going to be Buster Posey from San Francisco catching, Freddie Freeman from Atlanta at first, Adam Frazier from Pittsburgh at second, Nolan Arenado from the Cardinals at third, Fernando Tatis Jr. from San Diego at short, outfield of Ronald Acuna Jr., Nick Castellanos, and Jesse Winkler. Like I said, still the deepest outfield out there. 
the reserves for the NL, JT Realmuto of the Phillies, Ozzie Albies from Atlanta, Chris Bryant from the Cubbies, Brandon Crawford from San Francisco, Jake Cronenworth from San Diego, Eduardo Escobar from Arizona, Max Muncy from the Dodgers, Trey Turner from the Nationals, Mookie Betts from the Dodgers, Brian Reynolds from Pittsburgh, Kyle Schwarber from the Nationals, who won't be playing because of injury, Juan Soto from the Nationals, and Chris Taylor from the Dodgers. Starting pitchers for the NL, Corbin Burns from Milwaukee, Hugh Darvish from San Diego, Jacob DeGrom from the Mets, Kevin Gossman from the Giants, uh, German Marquez from Colorado, Trevor Rogers from Miami, Zach Wheeler from the Phillies, Brandon Woodruff from Milwaukee, relievers for the NL, Josh Hader from Milwaukee, Craig Kimball from the Cubs, Mark Melanson from the Dodgers, and Alex Reyes from the Cardinals. Overall, the Red Sox led all teams with six, with six selections. The Padres led the NL with four selections. Of our teams, the Braves had three selections. The Cubs and Phillies each had two. So, guys, uh, what do you think of the rosters overall? Overall, I think the National League is definitely deeper than the American League. Uh, I was very happy to see JT and Wheeler both make the All-Star team. This is the first time the Phillies have had two players, so just more than one player, represent the team since 2013. And I, I think it's well-deserved for both of them. Yeah, agreed. Even with Real Muto's injuries, he's still put up a great first season, so first half of the season so far. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I, it's a great, uh, like you said, the National League is much deeper than the American League. The thing I don't like is, is Trout's been injured for a long time. I don't understand why we don't just pull these guys who, have been, who are you know, season-ending injury guys. That's well, what happens when you let the there. fans vote. And he's not a season-ending injury, but he's not going to be back till after the All-Star break, and that's been known for some time. So you would think MLB would say, all right, he's been elected, but now we're going to pull him off for picking the starter. Right. Keep that Keep that All-Star nod for his, his lifetime record, but what, was he's clearly not going to play. Trout? Eight straight, something like mm-hmm. that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and this kind of goes towards uh, something that we have from listener Austin Young, he, uh, on our Facebook page, he let us know that his his biggest disappointment is that Cedric Mullins did not get a starting nod, which I completely agree with him. I, I think out of the out of this team, uh, Cedric Mullins has to be an American League starter. I, I'm glad he still made the roster, which he should have. But I with Trout shouldn't even be on the team, and. Cedric Mullen should have that starting position. So, who knows? Maybe he he will still get that. Uh, I believe that will be up to the manager to decide. But Austin, thanks for the comment there. Uh, he he is an or- Austin Austin is an Orioles fan, so he said, you know, maybe this is my bias, but I, I don't think it's a bias there, Austin. C- Cedric Mullins had a heck of a first half, and he absolutely should be a starter over Mike Trout. Yeah, we actually, all three of us agreed last week, I believe, that Mullins should have been one of the starters. I'm really glad to see he made the team, and I hope he gets elevated to starter. So, uh, so looking at some some of the snubs, the first big one that I saw was that Juan Soto was put in. Soto's not really having a great year, um, and Bryce Harper didn't make it in. Should Harper have gone in ahead of Soto? I was torn on this one. I don't think, and, and I said this last week, I don't think Harper had the games to really be considered for the team. So I actually have a different 
snub as far as Har- instead of Harper is concerned, uh, which I I'll get to after after this one here. But as far as Soto versus Harper, Harper is having a better season, but I don't think he has the games that would really make him worthy of being an All Star. What do you think, Joe? It's something to consider the the you know time of service I guess you could call it in a season. Um, yeah, Soto is not having I I think a better year than Harper, but I think it comes down again, like you said, to the games. Yeah, I would love to see Bryce gets uh, get offered for the home run derby. I think that he would put on a good show with that. Yeah, I do agree with that. We we mentioned that last week too. Uh, different question. Now that Schwarber's on the IL and won't be attending, should Harper take Schwarber's place? I mean, it's hard for me to go against it, say, since I just said he didn't get enough games in. That being said, looking at stats, other outfielders, it's hard not to take him at this point. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. Here are two other guys that they put up pretty good arguments to uh, be included in the game. Before you get to uh, that, Andrew. Yeah, go ahead, just, Jason. Just in case one of them is who I have here. Uh, I, I'm going to read some stats off. I want you to tell me which player you would choose. Okay? Okay. Player one, 231 batting average. So low batting average. 33 extra base hits, 16 doubles, 19 home runs, 49 RBIs. 146 total bases, slugging percentage 474. Player 2, 263 average. With 31 extra base hits, 12 doubles, 18 home runs, 47 RBI, 129 total bases, and a 556 slugging. Or the third batter, actually I'll do all four here, third batter, 271, 16 extra base hits, 13 doubles, 10 home runs, 43 RBI, 122 total bases, slugging 454. Batter number four, 271 average, 33 extra base hits, 16 total bases, 16 doubles, excuse me. 16 home runs, 42 RBI, 147 total bases, slugging 507. So out of those four batters, slugger number one leads or is tied in every single category except average and slugging. Which three batters do you take? What positions? Irrelevant right now. It, it's not for me because I take into account position when I look at the stat lines. Sure, and, and that's what I'll get to. So, um, even infield, outfield, infield, all, all four infield, all four infield. Okay. You said batter one's average was two thirty three. 231. 231. And to give you an idea here, at the pos- at the position, batter number one for extra base hits is first in the National League. For extra base hits, first for doubles, first for home runs, 
second for RBI, and second for total bases. I've got a real hard time putting a 233 guy in ahead of the better averages despite the other numbers. I know batting yeah. average isn't everything, but I have a hard time doing it. Do you, you don't happen to have the wars, do you? I don't. Okay. But I, I do know I do know that batter one does have a lower war than the other three. Yeah, I'd probably put two through four in a, ahead of one. I, I was going to say one, three, and four. Yeah, to give you an idea, batter number one. Actually, I'll go. I'll go four, three, and two. Batter number four was Chris Bryant. Mm-hmm. Batter number three was um, oh my gosh, I just lost him. Um, Chris Tucker, excuse me, Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor. Batter number three. Batter number two was Max Muncie. Batter number one is Reese Hoskins. I. If it weren't for that cold streak he hit, I think Hoskins would have been a shoe-in. And, and it, to me, it's it's the average, and also his defense is not great. Um, like, I didn't put him up against Freddie. Fred, Freddie is absolutely the best first baseman in the National League. Yeah. But I have a hard time keeping Reese Hoskins off of the reserves compared to those other three. I, I didn't like the Chris Taylor pick when I saw it, to be completely honest with you. Like, I thought that was kind of a stretch pick from the commissioner's office. Yeah, like like I get that Reese's average is lower and that he had a, a cold streak in there, but you're keeping out a guy who is leading the position in the biggest categories or a second in the biggest categories. Yeah. So so to, to me, it's not so much that Harper is a, is a snub, I would throw out that Reese Hoskins is a big snub for the All-Star team. Yeah. No, I, I definitely see what you're saying there. Um, that's tough. He could take Brian's spot for all I care. <laughs> <laughs> the bitterness continues. So here were two other snubs that I had. Um, Justin Turner and Manny Machado. So Machado's stat line on the season, 264, 346, 482. He's got 15 homers, 57 RBIs. He's scored 47 runs. He's got a 2.2 war. Turner's got a 295, 387, 44 slash line. 13 homers, 41 RBIs, 48 runs scored, and a 2.5 war. Uh, I mean, once the commissioner, excuse me, once the commissioner's office starts making picks, you're at the mercy of what they want to do. Um, I thought those were two guys that definitely made good cases. Here's a question for you guys, because you, Darvish, he's been good, but he lately he's been a little bit less. I was surprised Max Scherzer was not picked. I, I was really surprised. Listen to the comparison between Scherzer and Darvish. Scherzer's numbers, 210 ERA, 94 and a third innings pitch, 59 hits, 21 doubles, 127 strikeouts, 13 home runs allowed, a 2.7 war. Versus Darvish, 265 ERA in 102 innings, 73 hits allowed, 24 walks, 123 strikeouts, 12 home runs allowed, and a 2.6 war. It's close. I, I'm not necessarily upset at picking Darvish over Scherzer, but that was a lot closer than you would have thought. And I, you know, Scherzer probably got hurt, got hurt by the time he was out as well. Actually, I think he was on the IL when player voting for pitchers ended, so that probably helped push Darvish ahead of him. But that was that was one that surprised me. 
I also kind of look at the Dodgers pitching staff. The Dodgers pitching staff does not have a single selection here, and they pride themselves on being one of the best pitching staffs in the league. So it's it's kind of a surprise to me that not a single Dodgers pitcher was chosen. That was actually going to be my next point. Bueller, Kershaw, Peralta, Musgrove, and Walker, all five of them make good cases to be all-stars this year, but the NL pitching is so deep mm-hmm. that none of the five got selected to be pitchers. That that was very surprising to me. Yeah. I think it didn't help their case that the Dodgers were kind of shaky as a full the full pitching staff was pretty shaky at the beginning of the year. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. But yeah. I I mean it, it's the the voting is over and now the Dodgers are the highest team in the league or one of them. Yeah, as you know, it seems like it happens every single time the Dodgers look like they're going to fall apart and then they get hot again. So aggravating, isn't it? All right, so then the home run derby. Again, confirmed starters, Shohei Otani, Pete Alonso, Trevor Story, Trey Mancini, Salvador Perez was announced yesterday or Sunday, and then just today Matt Olson was announced as well. He's got a 552 slugging with 20 home runs in the season. Matt Olson was a little bit of a surprise pick for me. I didn't really think Olson as one of the choices. But that said, he's going to face Shohei Otani in the first round, and I don't think we're going to see him pass the first round, honestly. I mean, I think if Shohei is not even your favorite to win the whole thing right now, I mean, it's kind of crazy. I mean, not that anybody can win the home run derby here. It's a matter of who who swings the bat well, who gets the best pitches from their soft toss, yeah, things like that. Um, you know what I've never but understood. The, the thing is, we have we have two spots left for for the National League. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see who gets who gets them filled. Uh, but something I've always been curious about: Why has nobody ever asked Greg Maddox to go up and just throw two seam fastballs over the over the center of the plate? Because he's got the control to put that ball anywhere you want it. You know, it's going to be like 85, 87. It's not going to be a, a dominating fastball. I've all, you know I've always thought that was funny that you don't take the most accurate pitcher in the game at the time and ask him to pinpoint fastballs down right down your red zone so you can clobber them. You go with who you're familiar with. A lot of times it tends to be bullpen pitchers, I believe. Or hitting coaches. Or hitting or coach. coaches. Yeah. Um, was it... Uh, did Bryce Harper win it with his dad pitching? Some Somebody I won f- it with their dad pitching, I right? feel like it yeah. was Harper. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, I, I would love Bryce or Reese to be in that, in that derby. As a Phillies fan, yes, I have the bias, but... I'm thinking about the fact that the Home Run Derby is a show. And, and it's in Colorado where the air is so thin. We should see records smash. Watching, watching Bryce Harper hit there would be astounding, I think, because his his home runs are not cheap. No. And and the way the Hoskins has been hitting lately, I, I would love to see him hit out towards those left field bleachers. So the NL still has two spots open. We already know Fernando Tatis Jr. was offered and declined, unfortunately. So I I haven't heard of any other people who've declined from the National League yet. So with the two spots left, I personally... You've got to get Acuna in there. I, I hope it's Acuna and Harper. Those are my two picks to fill it. 
I'm sure I'm I'm sure there's other people I'm overlooking that we could pick as well, but Acuna and Harper, they both put on a show. They both hit monstrous home runs. Who you got, Joe? If it weren't for him getting injured, Schwarber would probably be in there. Yeah. True. That probably threw a monkey wrench and everything. The other thing, if, I mean, if you're looking for a showman, I, I don't know if he would do it, but Javi, as much as I don't like him right now, Javi is in the top four of the, of the league. Adam Duvall, Hoskins. Uh, Hoskins would be fun to watch, I think. Harper, again, like you said, puts on a show, but... Hoskins like was to... in the Derby the other year and put up good numbers. He, he I think he put up 17 and, and lost to 18. Like, Which is insane. There, there's not much you can do with that. But yeah, yeah, Winkler would be, or excuse me, Winkler. I keep saying Winkler. I apologize, everybody. It's Winker of the Reds. He'd be a good choice, too. He's also at 19 home runs in fourth place. Or even Castellanos as well. He's got 17. Mm-hmm. I'd take Winker and, uh, and Hoskins. That's who I'd like to see. Yeah. I'd like to see the the Reds guys get rewarded for the show they're putting on this first half. Yeah, at least one of them because yeah. it's yeah. been it's been an incredible first half for the Reds. Yeah, yeah, outfield. Yeah. All right. So moving on from the All Star Game festivities, uh, the Giants revealed their City Connect uniforms is a fog themed jersey. The Golden Gate Bridge is sublimated on the sleeves. All the elements except for the name on the back use a gray to orange gradient color theme to represent the fog. The bridge motif is repeated on the hat, which is orange with a white SF. The number font on the back is based on the lettering that they already use in the hat and the home jerseys. Uh, did you guys see pictures of it? Okay, you yeah. saw the link yeah. I sent. Yeah. So what do you guys think of this jersey? I like it. It's probably... It's not my favorite of the jerseys that they've come out with. I think it, it's still Miami for me. But I definitely like it better than some of the others. I like the way that they have the Golden Gate Bridge with the fog on it. I, I like I like that they went with the G. I wish it was a different style. Um, something something a little different. But to me also the the one thing that I didn't pick didn't really like as much as the orange is not quite San Francisco Giant orange. Uh, I would have liked to see it be a little closer to their current orange, but the fog idea and their their idea that they wear their heart on their sleeves, the Golden Gate Bridge, their city on their sleeves, you know, they, you, you hear, I left my heart in San Francisco. It's, it's a really good tribute to the city. What do you think, Joe? It's my favorite of the uniforms so far. Okay. Without a doubt. I do agree that the color should have been a little better, but overall, the, the package, the fog, the bridge, it's it's excellent. You know, we're not having this discussion like we did with the Diamondbacks about the color of the pants that they're going to wear with it. Uh, we didn't have the, there's too much blue on it, like the Wrigleyville Unis. This is the first one, I think, where we haven't had a super, super major complaint with the layout of the uniform. Yeah, I haven't said anything I'll yet. Say, I'll say Andrea hasn't gone yet. <laughs> it, it's a solid set. It's a solid set. I like Miami's better. couple things I don't like. I hate the gradient look. I know it's supposed to represent the fog. I hate the look. The G on the front is too elongated for me. I actually really like the font that they used for the numbers on the back. I actually think they should 
use that for all their jerseys. I think that would look fantastic. That that looks great. Get get rid of the fog. It, it, it doesn't really work. I like the Golden Gate Bridge. Here's the thing. You're not going to use the team's orange, and as we've already seen from the Marlins and the Diamondbacks, you don't, and Boston too, actually, you don't have to use your team's colors for these for these uniforms. Why don't you use the iconic orange-red of the Golden Gate Bridge instead of closer to a Giants orange? I think that would have made the point a little bit better. And a slight aesthetic point, I think the bridge logo on the hat is just a little bit too big. I think it takes away from the San Francisco logo on the front. If they would have shrunk it in 25% even, I think it would have looked a little better. So I, I think it's solid. It's not my favorite. That's, that's at this point, is probably still Miami for me. But yeah, it, it's solid. All right, we have a milestone that I want to mention tonight. Albert Pujols became only the fourth player in MLB history to reach the 6,000 total base milestone. He joined three other Hall of Famers in doing so. Hank Aaron, Stan the Man Musial, and Willie Mays. Have a career. Good. That's great company to be with. That's uh, Albert, if you're not a first ballot Hall of Famer, you have the right to go take your bat and start smashing in baseball writers' heads because if, if that's not a first ballot Hall of Fame career, I don't know what is. Yeah. We had another unique milestone from a, a minor leaguer, actually. Rangers prospect Sam Huff. He's uh, MLB Pipeline ranked number 60, Rangers number 2 prospect. In his minor league game last week, he hit a 511-foot home run. This thing had an exit velocity of 115 miles an hour. Holy crap. He might have hit the scoreboard at the polo grounds. Yeah. That, that's, that's incredible. And, and he's definitely one to look out for in the coming years here. He is absolutely going to be a stud and is going to be a face of a franchise, whether the Rangers keep him long enough or if they trade him, you know, to, in a package deal or something, but Sam Huff, definitely a name to keep on your radar in the future here. Yeah, agreed. I, I can't remember the last time I saw a home run that long outside of the home run derby. It, it's been a long time since we've seen a 500-footer. Yeah. I can't either. It's crazy when we see him at 450, 500, holy cow. Yeah, that yeah. was... Uh, that's, that's incredible. Absolutely and, ridiculous. And, and I do have to give a, a little shout-out here to, uh, for a quick little minor league update, a week after, not even a week after being no-hit themselves, the Reading Fighting Phils, double-A affiliate of Philadelphia Phillies, they pitched a combined no-hitter. So, got no-hit in one in one week, no-hit a team the next. So, it's, it was kind of an interesting feat by both, by both teams, the Binghamton Mets, who uh, they were the ones that no-hit Reading, and then Reading themselves with the uh, three or four pitcher no hit game, and that was the first no hitter for the Philly for the Reading Fighting Phils since 1993, which was also a combined no hitter, which Ricky Batalico was a part of. Ricky Batalico, there's a name you haven't heard in a long time. Unless you watch the Phillies and then you see him on TV, but yeah, <laughs> and he he has worth bigger rants than I do about that bullpen. That I believe. I mean, let's be fair. I've asked him if he's ready to come out of retirement. He is not. Twitter. You, you know the crazy thing? 
He could come out of retirement and probably still pitch better than half that pound. Probably. That, that's insane. Bring back Mitchie Poo. All right. So, on July 1st, this past week, baseball fans across the country got to celebrate what is undoubtedly the best day of the year and the greatest way to make fun of the New York Mets franchise, Bobby Bonilla Day. I, I say baseball fans, except for Mets fans, were celebrating. Actually... The Mets' new owner is kind of taking Bobby Bonilla Day and looking at it as, you know, we did something dumb, so let's try and celebrate it, bring Bonilla. Like, he had Bonilla come back on a cart, and they drove him a, wrap, a lap around the stadium. Yeah. And they're looking to do promotions in the future, so I think Mets fans are going to start looking at the day with a little bit less venom than they used to, just for the... Because I think they want to do in the future, like, meet and greets with Bonilla and things like that. Here's a promotion that they should do. This should be good. A bobblehead day of Bobby Bonilla, but have it be a coin bank, <laughs> so that fans can give that give Bobby Bonilla their own money <laughs> and save it up. That would be utterly. Br- that would be brilliant, actually. <laughs> that is that is too funny. So, yeah. so for people who don't know, the reason we have Bobby Bonilla Day, uh, the Mets released Bobby Bonilla before the, t- the 2000 season. They still owed him about 5.9 on his final year of his contract. Um, and they decided, the Bobby Bonilla's agent and the Mets, because the Mets didn't have a lot of liquid payroll at the time they were involved in the Bertie Madoff scheme. His agent got the Mets to defer the remaining 5.9 with interest. So every year on July 1st, Bonilla gets $1.19 million from the Mets. He will get that every year until July 1st, 2035. By the time this deal is paid out, Bobby Bonilla will have been paid $29.8 million for seasons that he didn't even play for the Mets. And he Seasons also- that he didn't play in general. Uh, he did before the contract. It's just like what we yeah. were mentioning earlier. Big contracts don't usually pay out well. Yeah. Um, here, here's the thing, too. He was smart enough to get it written in that if he dies, the money still goes to his family. So the Mets have literally no way out of this deferment deal unless Bonilla and his agent would take like a lump sum to pay it off, which you know he's not going to do, unless it's more than the amount of money remaining. I would much rather take $1.1 million once a year. Yeah, I would, too. And the fun, the fun thing about that, you know, people were were going off on the Phillies for their contract with Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, if that contract goes to term, which it will, will be done with that contract, and Bobby Bonilla will still have three more paychecks coming in. <laughs> I think isn't it the same thing with with Trout? Like Trout's going to be Trout's going, is going to end before Bobby Bonilla like. Bobby Bonilla is going to be getting paid after the current superstars with those big contracts are done. Here's probable AL MVP winner Vlad Guerrero Jr. is making less money this year than Bobby Bonilla made from the Mets without picking up a bat in 11 years. Pittsburgh Pirates are making less than Bobby Bonilla. (laughs) And here's the thing. Baseball has a long history of deferred contracts. Bonilla also has the second largest deferred contract plan between the Mets and the Orioles that was initiated in 2004 and pays him $500,000 a year for 25 years. So that's going to go until 2029. 
you know. God bless the Mets and Bobby Bonilla Day. <laughs> as a Phillies fan, I know as a Braves fan, like we love s- it. seeing something from a divisional division rival that's that bad is it just warms my heart. And you know, it's not like other teams <laughs> haven't had these deferred contracts. Yeah. Atlanta had a long deferred contract with Bruce Suter, which either is about to end this year or just ended a year or two ago. I, I, I forget when that one ends, but that was actually built into the contract from the start. So Atlanta knew what they were getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. I know almost every team has at least one of these deals in its history, probably multiple, because you know you want to free up payroll for the now to pay for the future. Yeah. So, it, thank God for Bobby Bonilla. You know, th- this got all of us thinking last week. What are the worst? Con- what What's the worst contract your team has ever signed? Joe, do you want to go first? Why not? Uh, <laughs> let's pile on Cubs for for tonight. I don't think this is piling on. No. This was your idea. No. I, well, I don't. <laughs> I, I'm piling on the Cubs. Front office was for their years and years and years. Losing streak. Right. Th- that's Which is about fair. to be 11 because they're down 9-3. to three. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Uh, Alfonso Soriano is the worst contract in, in Cubs history. It was eight years, $136 million. It was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, he went from playing second to playing left field to not coming anywhere close to earning that money. Uh, in 2013, the Cubs paid the Yankees like the last 13 million that they owed to get rid of it. it, it yeah, it just was not was not worth it. The some some extra nuggets in this contract. There was a no trade clause. Uh, he got an extra 250 thousand for top voting in the All Star. Three hundred fifty thousand if he had won the World Series MVP. Thank God he didn't. Uh, Three hundred thousand if he had been the MVP of the league, and seventy-five thousand dollars if he had gotten a Gold Glove. Offensively, he just never hit the mark with with what the money was, and it really put the you know eventual rise of the Cubs here, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016 behind schedule. I think. And so that, to me, is the worst contract that the Cubs have ever signed. Jason, what about you? I had to go through a couple different bad contracts just to see which one I would think of as being the worst one. And I looked at the Cliff Lee extension where he got a few starts before he got injured and got the rest of that money and went off to Arkansas without ever getting the surgery needed to... Uh, get back to the mound. And then I looked at a closer deal with David Robertson, who pitched like three innings on a three-year deal, uh, something like that. I looked at Adam Eaton, who rode the coattails to a World Series win in 2008 while he was in the minor league system. And I ultimately am going to go with the Ryan Howard contract. Uh, this one it's not so much the amount 5 years 125 million it's not so much that amount and the length it's when the deal happened the deal happened in April of 2010 
Ryan Howard at the time coming off four consecutive seasons of absolutely pounding the ball. He was MVP of the league, home run derby champ, things like that. And right now, 2010, he signs that deal. And his current contract was not ending until the end of the 2011 season. At the end of the 2011 season and the postseason, he tore his Achilles heel in game five, uh, excuse me, games, yeah, it was game five of the divisional uh, series against the Cardinals, and he was not the same player since. That being said, I don't, there's no way that you could predict the injury happening, but to give that kind of a deal with two full years left on a contract does not make sense to me. Given until mid, the middle of 2011 season, see how he's, because 2011 he didn't have that great of a year, and and you may have been able to sign him for less. With the injury, it ended up being a very, very bad deal for the Phils. Uh, he was on the payroll until 2017. Yeah, that was, that was a bad deal, and actually your reason was exactly why I didn't like that deal, Jason. Why do you sign somebody with that much control on their rookie contract? Mm-hmm. That That's just insane. They owed him $39 million over the next two years. Oof. And that contract, because it was an extension, did not start until 2012. Yep. Yeah. Was that still Ruben Amaro? It was. Why am I not surprised to hear that? Yeah, and, and somebody actually... Uh, tweeted to Ruben Amaro Jr. about that, and he stood by the deal. He said, "There's," and his reason was, "I he couldn't he couldn't foresee that injury happening," which he he's right, but I think you need to give it some time before you even consider that deal. Um, it's one of those I I get it, but I don't at the same time. Yeah, you don't extend with that many years left on the rookie deal. I that's. Just poor, just poor GM. Yeah. So, really for Atlanta fans, in the last 15, 20 years, it really comes down to two deals. Um, either B.J. Upton or Mike Hampton. I went with B.J. Upton because Mike Hampton, he was hurt a lot, so his deal was bad because of that. But when Hampton played, he pitched and actually was a pretty good hitter as well and played very solid defense on the mound. Actually, I think he ended Greg Maddox's gold glove streak and took and took at least one for himself as well. So listen to this production that Atlanta got out of B.J. Upton over three seasons. He signed a five-year, $75.25 million deal over three seasons. Slash line of 0. 0.198, He walked 101 times while striking out 324 times. He hit 21 home runs, 61 RBIs. He had a negative 1.7 WAR. I re- I dropped the mic so he and I rest my case. Yeah. Oh, I, I I could tell. I I've lost track of how many times I watched him kill rallies in the ninth inning, mm-hmm. or any other inning for that matter. Thank God Justin Upton was solid because BJ was an abject failure. That, that was terrible. All right, let's move on because I don't feel like talking about the Upton brothers anymore. My top hitters for the last week, 
My number one hitter, my number one top hitter was um, Ozzie Albies of Atlanta. He had a 400-407-760 slash line, 10 hits, 6 runs scored, 3 homers, 13 RBIs, 3 stolen bases, a walk, and 7 strikeouts. My next one was Jace Peterson in Milwaukee. He went 435-517-783, 10 hits, 3 doubles, a triple, 7 runs scored, a homer, 11 RBIs, 2 stolen bases, 5 walks, and 1 strikeout. Willie, at, Willie Adamas of Milwaukee, 346, 469, 769. He had nine hits, two doubles, nine runs scored, three homers, eight RBIs, a stolen base, six walks, and seven strikeouts. And then the last one, our boy, all-star Cedric Mullins of Baltimore, 400, 444, 680 slash line, 10 hits, a double, six runs scored, two homers, four RBIs, three stolen bases, two walks, four strikeouts. Did you guys have any other hitters you wanted to mention? Shohei. I keep bringing Shohei up yeah. every week, though, um, but I think it's 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 worth it just because uh, he is now up. He he, he covers the ball daily. Uh, he had two home runs, uh, I believe, against Baltimore uh, in the one game. I mean, considering um, their pitching staff, I'm surprised you didn't have four. But I, I mean, and they're not cheapies either. He's hitting the ball 400 some feet uh, each time. I I think his his two home runs against Baltimore were over 900 feet in length. And um, he, he's hit now 31, 32 on the season. So if this what if it wasn't for the McGuire-Sosa chase and the Bonds chase, we're looking at him chasing down Roger Maris' 61. Yeah. So I, I don't think he'll get to the 73. All right where Barry Bonds ended up, but, I mean, he's smacking the ball, and he's a dual threat as a pitcher, so I have I would have him again as one of my top hitters for the week. Yeah, I could agree with that. Joe? I had two. I had uh, Abreu for the White Sox, 385, 414, 731, 10 hits, 9 runs, 9 RBIs, and 3 homers. Hmm. Uh, Dominic Smith for the Mets, 444, 450, 1056. Eight hits, seven runs, three homers, two doubles, seven RBIs, one walk, and five strikeouts. I also thought Hoskins had a good week last week, but we've talked about him. Yeah. Uh, he would have been the other one I would have added to this. Okay. All right. I only had two pitchers this week. The pitchers, these two stood out, and the rest were all kind of lumped together as being the same. So my first one was Jermon uh, Marquez of the Rockies. He went 1-0, 15 innings, six hits, a home run, two earned runs allowed, Two walks, 16 strikeouts, a 120 ERA, and a .53 whip. And then Joe Ross of Washington. He went 1-1, one and one, 13 and third innings, 13 hits, two home runs allowed, five run runs, two walks, 18 strikeouts, a 346 ERA, and a 1.15 whip. Uh, what else did you guys have for pitchers? I had two. I had Kim from St. Louis, 2-0, 12 innings, six hits, one run, 11 strikeouts, point. 5-2, I think it was, whip, and .146 batting average against. Uh, and then Peralta for the Tigers, 2-0, 12 innings, 6 hits, 1 run, 140 batting average against, 11 strikeouts, and a .5 whip. So that was a good week for them. Yeah, those were good weeks. Jason? Yeah, Peralta was the main one. Um, uh, otherwise, I agree with what you guys have said. But yeah, Peralta was definitely the one to be out of here. Yeah. All right, top teams for me for the last week are the Red Sox, the Tigers, the Braves, the Brewers, the Reds, and the Dodgers. Did you guys have anybody else you wanted to put on the list or anybody you thought maybe wasn't deserving to be on the list? 
I, I was glad to see the Dodgers included on this one just because they are – I don't think they're the hottest team in the league right now. I think that that belongs to the Brewers um, and even the Red Sox here. Uh, the Red Sox are an astounding team to me. I, I've seen Red Sox fans say this, and I agree with them. The Red Sox should not be this good. They don't have the complete pitching staff. They don't have – they have a lot of plug-and-play players, but they're contributing at the right times. They're all contributing together as a team. The Red Sox just keep winning, and they don't really have a place to be winning, but they are. And, and it's, it's, it's fun to see. I'm not a Red Sox fan, but, but I like seeing when teams that have a lower payroll really click and get things together. Lower payroll? Well... Uh, you want Less to rethink ta- that, man? I, I wouldn't call the Red Sox a lower payroll team at no. all. They're still near the uh, luxury tax luxury tax threshold. Yeah, but the way that I, I'm thinking more lower payroll was not the right terminology for sure. Um, but like the trades that they've made the past couple years, things like that, giving up some prospects that they've put together a solid team that. I don't think many people would have seen winning the division this year against a t- against the Yankees, the the Rays, the Blue Jays. So, I mean, props to the Red Sox. I, I think they're in probably the hardest or second hardest division in in the in the league, and they're up there at the top. Yeah, I'd go with the second hardest for that personally. I think the NL West is the hardest division in the league right now. But yeah, the uh, the Red Sox are absolutely having a phenomenal season. Joe, did you have anybody else to add? There's really no one else to add, but you know, tailing off what Jason said, the Red Sox it's it's mostly hitting for them. They have a few arms. I think they have what one arm, you know, pitching in the in the All Star game too, actually, and it's you know they've got three guys, three or four guys, I guess starting in that, so it's it's crazy what they're doing. And like I said, they lead all teams with all-star selections at six, so they're clearly doing something right out there in uh, Boston this year. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everyone. So we're going to do a quick preview for the upcoming week since I just realized uh, otherwise we'd be skipping Pickham for too many weeks in a row and Jason's starting to get whiny because he's still leading, unfortunately. All right, so the Braves, to end the first half of the season, they're going to be three on the road at the Pirates, three on the road at the Marlins. The Phillies are going to end the year, I'm sorry, end the first half of the season, four on the road at the Cubs, three on the road at the Red Sox. I, I do want to mention one thing. I'm really curious to see more versus Pavetta for the reasons we mentioned earlier in the show. And then the Cubs, they end four at home versus Philly, and then three at home versus the Cardinals. My God, I hope the Cubs get at least one win before the end of the first half. Um, big series I'm looking forward to this week is Brewers and the Mets. You've got two first-place division teams going head-to-head. I think that's going to be a fun series to watch. Uh, did you guys have any other series you're watching this week? Nothing that jumped off the page for me. Yeah, not, nothing really stood out here. I I agree with the with the Brewers and Mets here, just because you have two division leaders here. And, and looking through some quick games, some quick series this coming weekend, 
there not a whole lot really stands out here um just a lot there's a lot of first versus last just a lot of parody matchups this weekend so I, I would definitely say brewers brewers Mets would be the big one all right all right so let's look at pick em since it's been a little bit and jason's chomping at the bit i just wanted to see how we've been doing yeah, see, sure. see, see, see where my lead currently is, if I still have the lead, yeah, how sure. far up. Anybody else not believing this false modesty act besides me? All I right. believe it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, so... Thanks, Joe. Sure. You paid him, didn't you? Maybe. That's what I thought. All right. So from 628 through 7-4, that was two weeks ago... With Atlanta, I guessed four and two, two and one, two and one. Jason guessed the same. Joe guessed three and three, two and one, one and two. Jason and I nailed perfect records that week. Joe did manage to pick up a half a point. For the Cubbies, two <laughs> two weeks ago, we all got screwed. I'm just going to say none of us came close to guessing zero and six and got no points from the Cubs. Well, we'll leave that alone for Joe. I think he's had enough tonight. For the Phillies, they went three and four, zero oh and one, two and one, one and two. That uh, was my guess. I said three and f- uh, Jason said the same. Joe said two and five, oh and one, one and two, one and two. Uh, we all missed that. They went uh, four and three, oh and one, two and well, it, it's not done yet. It's three and three because I forgot about the rain out. So it's at this point, oh and one is correct. They're at one and one with the Marlins. That's a rain out makeup. And then they actually went two and one against the Padres, which none of us predicted. I will gladly be wrong on that one. Yeah, I bet you would be. I, who wouldn't be? The Padres are insane this year. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell any points for this yet because I'm waiting for the rain out, so that's no points for us so far. For the random team that week, it was Toronto. I guessed three and three, two and one, one and two. Uh, Jason and Joe both went four and two, two and one, two and one. I nailed the three and three, but I flip flopped the order. They went one and two, two and one. So I got a whole point. They got a half a point. The overall standings: Jason has a twenty-six and a half point. For his total, I'm at 21.5. Joe is at 20. Um, caveat to that, guys, I have not plugged in all of the other rainouts that we had previously, so that may change the points a little bit here and there. For the upcoming week, I predicted Atlanta to go 4-2-2-1-2-1, which we found out tonight. That's not going to happen. Actually, all three of us predicted that. So once again, the Braves are saying to all of us, no perfect weeks. For the Cubbies, I predicted four and three, two and two, two and one. Jason three and four, two and two, one and two. Joe two and five, one and three, one and two. For the Phillies, I predicted three and four, two and two, two and one. Jason did the same. Joe went four and three, three and one, one and two. And our random team for this week is the Minnesota Twins. I predicted three and four, one and two, two and two. Jason, you did the same. Joe went four and three, two and one, two and two. So we'll have to see what happens with that going forward as we head into the All Star break, and we'll have All Star pick them next week when we're on next. Um, guys, do you have anything else for the week? Um, just a heads up for listeners: we will not actually be recording next week, so that we're able to watch the All Star game. Yeah, uh, we we might bump to Monday. We'll we'll figure that out, guys. We'll let you know how we're going to handle that. All right. Joe, anything else for you? Nope. You just want to see the Cubs get back on the uh, black and get out of the red. I understand. He just wants to see the Cubs get a W. Yeah, he wants to fly the dub, and I understand that. 
All right, guys, you can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Spreaker. We are presented by Dark Arrow Podcast, LLC. May your dogs always cost a dollar. May your beer always be cold. Have a good night and enjoy the All-Star break next week, guys.